Hi folks, it's Rabbi Sharon Brouse here. You are listening to Ikar's podcast where you can hear our sermons from Shabbat and holidays, our guest speakers, our teachers, anything we think worth listening to that we can capture, you can hear right here. Thank you so much for being with us. Travis, how are we doing? It's a little hot for, for late November, but thank you all so much for being here. Um, so, you know, in honor of Hanukkah starting tomorrow night, I wanted to share some Hanukkah-themed Torah to help us get into the mindset of the holiday. And the truth is, um, what we're going to learn together is better described as Elul Torah, right? Elul is the month leading up to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. It's this month of deep introspective work. And uh, I'm almost always drawn to Elul Torah because... You know, often way better than the answers that are actually found within these teachings, they pose these incredibly vital questions about how we're living our lives and, and hopefully help us get unstuck and into right relationship and really growing into whom we'd like to be. So um, if, you're, if you're keeping score, we're, we're going to do, uh, we're going to learn Elul Torah dressed up in Hanukkah themes uh, on a 85 degree day, Shabbos in November. Okay, so and the text that you have in front of you is uh, is written by Rav Shlomo Yosef Zevin. He's a 20th century Israeli teacher, and the text it's a sermon entitled in Hebrew "Or O Ur." You can hear the word play "Or O Ur," meaning light or or fire, light or fire. So he opens his sermon as follows. Regarding the Hanukkiah, what is the commandment? To kindle a fire or create light? So when I saw this text for the first time, I was immediately excited by this, this opening question. At its core, what are we doing? Are we kindling a fire or are we creating light? Now, you know, we should acknowledge that He's creating perhaps a, a false dichotomy. It doesn't have to be either kindling a fire or creating a light, but by dissecting the commandment, we can take a, a closer look at its component parts. So he goes on. One might say that Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel already disputed this point, gradually decrease the number of lights or gradually increase the number of lights. So in other words, the question of kindling fire or creating light has already been debated by the sages of the Talmud. Not explicitly in these terms. If you were to you know, look at this page of Talmud, you won't see a debate about kindling fire or creating light, but our text here is suggesting that this underpins Hillel and Shammai's disagreement in the Talmud. And, and that disagreement is primarily about what to do on the first night of Hanukkah. Do you light one candle and then add an additional candle each light, that, each night? That's Hillel's perspective. Or do you start with eight on the first night and then decrease each night, which is Shammai's perspective? And Hillel wins the argument, like he almost always does. Um, but that doesn't mean that there isn't truth in Shammai's perspective. And any reader of the Talmud is trained to, to look for the truth in every opinion that's found on those pages. All right, so that's the setup. He's now going to start breaking down the symbolic meaning of light and fire. So first with light. The light functions as an expression for, two quotes from Proverbs, the mitzvah is a lamp, the Torah is a light, 
and the soul of a person is the lamp of God. The light of the soul needs to penetrate into all the remote recesses of a person and to illuminate their whole being. And the light of the Torah needs to penetrate into all the remote corners of the world and to illuminate all the darkened regions of the universe and the depths of the land, and the two are dependent on one another. When people cause their souls to shine, the entire world will be uplifted to the level of the utmost light of Torah light. Whew! All right. We took a sharp turn towards uh, mysticism, so you know, just shake it out if you need to. Um, but here what we have is Rav Zevin, he's building out the symbolic meaning of light. We're not talking about electricity. We're not talking about sunshine. We're talking about the light of Hanukkah, which is God's light. It's the light that's found in the soul, that's expressed through good deeds, that's seated in the Torah. And that light can be released and channeled into the body and into the whole world. And, and notice the microcosm, macrocosm relationship being, being depicted here. Right? The project of this light is to spread first internally within the individual and then throughout the world. And he says the two are dependent on each other. There, there's a ripple effect. An enlightened person helps create an enlightened world. And perhaps without starting at home, without starting with the self, we don't really have a shot at broader enlightenment. That's what he's suggesting. Right? And that's the beginning of this symbolic world he's creating around the Hanukkah light. He goes on. The fire symbolizes the destruction and annihilation of evil. The fire burns and consumes the evil forces that are in a person's soul, as it's written in Deuteronomy, you shall sweep out the evil from your midst. And the fire even burns and annihilates the evil forces that are active in the entire world. And again, the two are dependent on one another. So I, I think it's tempting, um, and it was certainly my initial tendency, to associate fire with negativity. Right? But I don't think that that's what Rob Zevin is offering here. He's depicting fire as a cleansing force. And notice the similar internal-external ripple effect as what we just described with light. Symbolically, the fire here burns away evil. It destroys our internal destructive habits. And so, too, the fire has the capability to rid our world of its nefarious forces. And, and here's where he gets, I think, to the central point of the text in this next paragraph. He writes... Certainly, we require both forces, fire and light. But Shammai and Hillel disagreed about where to place the emphasis, where, what is the essence and central focus of a person's efforts. Beit Shammai is strict. A person cannot elevate oneself to the utmost light without annihilating and burning away one's inner evil forces. For evil cannot reside within you, says the psalmist. After one destroys the evil, inevitably, one will draw close to the light of holiness. So before we consider Beit Hillel's perspective, just first to double down on this initial statement. We require both forces. There's a place, there's a need in our world and in our own internal work of transformation for fire and for light, for, for rooting out evil and for spreading goodness. 
And I think that the, the best image to consider here, alongside Rob Zevin's depiction of fire, is of a controlled burn in, in an ecological sense. A controlled burn is when forest managers intentionally use fire to reset the balance and health of the ecology of the landscape right? in, in order to enable the good stuff to grow. So the fire might clear away brush that's blocking sunlight or, or invasive species that are outcompeting the native plants. So a controlled burn is resetting the ecology, or in Rob Zevin's terms, after one destroys the evil, inevitably one draws close to the light of holiness. Once the fire sweeps through the landscape, then the seeds of goodness within can grow. And, and what's so interesting, I think, about a controlled burn is that it works because the native seeds and plants, in fact, grow best with occasional exposure to fire. And they've adapted that way. So in this metaphor, for our goodness to really burst through, we need to burn away the invasive behaviors or beliefs or systems that are crowding out what we really want to grow. He goes on, Beit Hillel, on the other hand, is lenient. On the contrary, by means of the light of Torah, one will drive away the darkness of evil. A little light pushes away much darkness from itself, and even more so, a lot of light. Okay, so Hillel's paradigm is much different than Shammai's. Hillel is not saying yeah, face your darkness head on. Name those destructive forces and go after them with the cleansing, cleansing power of fire. Hillel is suggesting that as we increasingly engage with Torah, increasingly engage with good deeds, with building positive habits, the darkness within will be pushed out by the light. Good habits leave less room for negative behaviors. Now, both perspectives share the recognition that there's darkness. And they share the desire to completely transform the individual. But one strategy is explicitly focusing on the destructive forces. And then the other strategy relies on this sort of domino effect of the light. And, and I want us to consider, as individuals, which paradigm we're more attracted to, which you've seen in your own life as, um, as a more effective strategy of transformation, right? And as I consider these questions, I find that part of what's so challenging about this text is that when I consider it on the individual level, I'm really drawn to the merits of Hillel's light paradigm. But when I think about some of the ongoing structural work in our society, I'm also attracted to the Shammai paradigm. Just in the context of climate change, yes, we need to add more light. Plant a garden, compost your food scraps, think about the individual behaviors, but we know that's not enough. Right? We need, in some ways, to fight fire with fire. We need to take down the systems that are warming our planet at an unsustainable rate. So, yeah, we, we certainly need both forces. We're going to hold on to that line, but at what moment in our lives and in what sphere of our lives are we to walk the road of Hillel versus that of Shammai? All right, he goes on. In the days of Matit Yahu, 
there were these two phenomena, fire and light. At first, the Hasmoneans used the holy fire to destroy and annihilate the impurity of the Greek culture that had ruled over the land. By sword, they vanquished the Greeks and the Hellenizers who had defiled the holy land with alien altars, who compelled Jews to desecrate the Sabbath, and so forth. When the wicked were delivered into the hands of the righteous and the forces of evil were destroyed from the light, then, from the land, then came the light. It says in the Al-Hanisim prayer, which we say on, on Hanukkah and on Purim, and then your sons came and purified your sanctuary. The light of the Torah was illuminated in the sanctuary and throughout the land, and Yehudim Haita Ora, and the Jews had light. This is Torah. So in the historical telling of the Hanukkah story, it's the Shammai perspective. Right? Evil was pervasive throughout the land. The Maccabees wiped out the evil, which then created space for light to enter into the scene. Rav Zevin writes, the disagreement between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel was concerning which of these two phenomena we are commemorating in perpetuity. Beit Shammai says the remembrances of the fire for the destruction of evil, and Beit Hillel reasons, no, the remembrances of the light. Certainly in its time, the war was necessary, and so we engaged in it, but we don't create from that a symbol and a ritual act. The temporal means does not turn into an absolute end. This is not the ethical teaching for the generations. The lesson for the future is the light. Okay, so despite the fact that the historical telling of the Hanukkah story seems to match the Shammai paradigm, the disagreement between the two is what gets translated into the message of Hanukkah. That's, that's where they disagree. Hillel says we focus on the light and we build up from there. And Shammai says, no, you can't skip over. You can't forget how we got to the place of the light. And I'll just summarize the last paragraph on your, on your page. This is essentially the disagreement. If it's the fire paradigm that we're commemorating, we go from eight candles to one. We burn away the evil little by little versus the Hillel paradigm where we start with a little bit of light and then each day increase. And he, he concludes his teaching the same way that the Talmud concludes this section, which is that the halacha, the law, is according to Hillel. Okay, so we know to create the, the, the selves that we hope to be in, the society that we hope to live in, we need fire and, we, and light. And each week, I want, I want you to newly pay attention to this moment in, in Havdalah, where we say the blessing over the candle, Borei Meorei Haish, or and Ish, light and fire. It's a question. It's a question each week. What work am I going to engage in? Where am I placing my focus? I think part of what Rav Zevin is saying is that both, both are needed, but you have to actively ask yourself, where is my work this week, both internally and externally? Is it rooting out evil, Shammai paradigm, or is it one step at a time, a little light goes a long way, the Hillel paradigm? But then we have our holidays. 
And our holidays ask us to wear particular glasses at a specific moment in the year, right? On Pesach, for eight days, we're challenged to see the world from the perspective of a, of a newly liberated people. Right? And that lens guides how we relate to each other and to the world for those eight days. And on Hanukkah, for eight days, the question of fire versus light has already been answered. We're all Beit Hillel for the next eight days. So can we lean into, however comfortable or unnatural it might be, the paradigm of light that generates more light? Can we adopt a faith that embraces the, this ripple effect of goodness, the belief that even small acts of transformation, of healing, of godliness can actually leave the world aglow? I wish you all a Hanukkah Sameach, a Hanukkah of light evermore each day. Shabbos. Hey everybody, Randy Sklar here. I'm an eCar member. And Jason Sklar here. I'm an eCar fan. Yeah, and we uh, love eCar so much. We love the message that eCar uh, delivers in their many podcasts. And we feel like most people feel there aren't a lot of podcasts in this world. I think there are only two or three. There's only a couple. So what we'd like you to do is donate to eCar at ecar-la.org uh, so that they can do more podcasts and more cool things because Lord knows the world needs more podcasts. Yep.